0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Cracking Addiction. My name is Dr. Fergal Armstrong, and we're very lucky to have with us today, Mr. Scott Aitken. Hello, Scott. How are you? Yeah,
1: good. Thanks, Fergal. So for the benefit of the viewers and listeners, what exactly do you do for a living? I'm a withdrawal nurse, and I'm also a nurse practitioner. Right. So looking at the withdrawal nurse aspect, what does that mean? What's, What's your area of expertise? Uh, so predominantly, uh, withdrawing withdrawing alcohol uh, in the community, um, yeah. though we do do stuff in the hospital as well. Yeah. So you have a special
0: interest in helping people overall with substance use disorders in general, in particular with alcohol.
1: Yeah. 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 Alcohol yeah. because it's the predominant yeah. substance. Yeah. yeah.
0: And we we have worked closely for many years looking after patients in the community, haven't we? Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And we're, we're rural Victoria.
0: Yeah and we have talked frequently about a book that we have both read called Chasing the Scream by Johan Harry. So I thought tonight would be a good idea to just to have a bit of a book review and see what your thoughts were on on the book and the ideas contained therein.
1: So what was your first impression of reading this mighty tome? Uh it's a good book. It's it's very readable and I think uh, that's what has made it so successful. You yeah, know, he's a very good writer. Yeah. And he's very accessible, um, yeah. and and that's the beauty of the book.
0: Yeah, yeah. And for me, what I find reading the book was that he actually opened up the history of drug addiction and the war on drugs, which was absolutely fascinating, and and it really exploded a number of myths that I or preconceptions that I'd had. I mean, you know, the, the fact that we have a war on drugs, I always took it that it was it was always the case, you know, from, from ancient Sumerian times there were always people mm. who were saying that drugs were bad.
1: But that's not the case, is it? What, what's your take on this? No. I, look, I was I was fascinated that a lot of the drugs that uh, we call hard drugs were very common um, yeah. before this war on drugs happened. You know, they, yeah. they you, you talk about, he talks about um, Coca-Cola where there was Cocaine or uh, Mrs. Winslow's soothing syrup, which yeah. had a little bit of uh, morphine in it. Um, yeah, that was common, and nobody blinked an eye. And um, it's yeah. interesting; well, it's it's changed. Um, yeah.
0: So, I mean, when we put it into a, a really long historical perspective, I mean, alcohol was first brewed, or beer was first brewed, brewed. By the Sumerians nine thousand years ago, and you know the, the, the beautiful properties of the poppy, and the ability of the poppy to make people happy and high, and, and also as an analgesic, was well known also by the Sumerians, and they actually referred to it as Hull Gil, which was the happy flower. So you know, human beings have used drugs to ameliorate their physical and psychological pain. Really, since the start of civilization, wouldn't you have said? Wouldn't you agree?
1: Yeah, 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 for sure. Yeah.
0: Really, when we think about the war on, war on drugs, we have to think about the advent of heroin and cocaine, and so these drugs were kind of discovered or invented in the late eighteenth century. Sorry, the late nineteenth century, and really from that time onwards until the war on drugs happened, they were really freely available, weren't
1: they? Yeah, and. Um... As Johans said, that most people didn't actually get addicted to them. There were in small quantities, uh, and most people weren't addicted to it, and it wasn't an issue. Um, yeah.
0: And the first, the first kind of inkling that we had that there was going to be an issue, I think, was returning service personnel from the American Civil War, and then uh, then the um, then the returning service people from. The First World War. That's you know these these battle wounded individuals were using escalating doses of morph of morphine and heroin. But really, the war on drugs itself started out with the the efforts of one particular
1: individual. Who, who was that individual? Ah, uh, is a is a character called Anslinger, um, yeah. and he yeah yeah the the narcotics act was already around, but he drove it to the a, a completely different level and. Um, yeah, Hari talks about this guy in particular and he's um the, the book itself, The Scream, it, it, it is an experience that Hari had when he was a young child, and a um one of his relatives was he witnessed uh the 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 lady in the house uh screaming historically hysterically and um, it wasn't until the pharmacist turned up that, and and they gave her whatever drugs it was that she stopped screaming, and that's where the title mm. of the book comes from. And yeah. it's around how drugs causes this hysteria that they're, 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 they 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 um, they they bend your mind to to do horrible things and to to for for um, you to have mental disturbances really, yeah. Um, he also uh, uh, he he links it to all the evils in the, in the world you know uh, with racism and, um, and and mental health really yes there's, tell us about the it.
0: racism angle
1: tell oh, us about that um, so he's he the, the biggest um, he, he talks a lot about billy holiday and there's a movie just put out, I think last year, about Billie Holiday and how they they basically hunted her down, and it, it um, and there's a lot of uh, prejudice about uh, black communities basically using drugs. Um, mm-hmm. Yet you could look at the same um, white uh, privileged. Middle class American, and they were were often using drugs as well, but they just weren't perse- persecuted. Um, yeah.
0: yeah, and that's the thing that really struck me was that the war on drugs was actually aimed at the black ethnic communities in the United States. You know, and there was this huge uh, there was this huge propaganda uh, machine that basically said that black people are using drugs, and therefore black people are ruining society. Therefore, to save society we've got to stop the drugs getting in the hands of the black people. Mm. And to me, you know, the, the, the entire premise of this was targeting a minority erroneously without any scientific evidence and ostracizing a, a, a cohort of individuals who were using drugs but not actually um, becoming dysfunctional. And they, those that, that cohort of individuals then became ostracized, marginalized, and then they became dysfunctional. And th- this is one of the other key messages that I got from his book, that prior to the war on drugs, it was perfectly feasible to have a good-going addiction to a substance and still hold down a job and still meet your obligations as a family man, as a as an employee or a tenant. But when the war on drugs started, the prices went up, the, the price of drugs became uh, prohibitively expensive, and people lost their livelihoods, and people lost their identities. Mm. So actually from what I read of it, is that the war on drugs has actually caused all of the social evils that we now associate with drug
1: use. Yeah. What, what's What's your take on that? So he talks about three three main pillars of the, the drug war, how it affects the individual. Yeah. Uh, the, the characters that enforce the drug laws, the, you know, the enforcers like Anslinger, and also the... Um, the the pushers of drugs the mafia type figures and uh the fascinating thing is that there's a, there's an e- economic argument with uh, that happens with the war on drugs so it talks about how if you limit the supply of drugs what happens is they put more powerful or stronger drugs into a smaller container or whatever. So, for example, he talks about the alcohol. Instead, you know, pre um, the war on drugs, America's favourite beer was beer. It took up a certain amount of volume. When Mm. they started to enforce um, no alcohol, it became whiskey, black market whiskey. Mm. And so it became a, a more powerful, potent drug the same as the heroin, the morphine, it became stronger. And that's where a lot of those issues come from. It's the same as the, the violence around um, when, when you haven't got, you know, uh, uh, the, the government controlling um, pharmaceuticals. It goes into the, the hands of um, the mafia and, and the black market.
0: So basically what happens is you to actually protect your supply chain, you you need to enforce it, which means you need to engage in violence. You need to be able to produce violence violence as a force to protect your supply chain. Yeah, Yeah, so you can say that.
1: Yeah, so the violence uh, to to protect your supply chain becomes greater. And, you know, as soon as one uh, uh, street, uh, whoever controls the area goes or is knocked out, somebody will fill the gap and when they're filling that gap there's often a lot of violence deaths because of it and it's the violence is even more uh than when you had it legalized
0: yeah Mm. so we've got the economic issue where there's an entire industry that is funded to attack drugs and there's an entire industry that funds the production of drugs so there's that kind of circular economic issue And then we've got the, as you say, the issue about protection of the supply chain. Because you can't go, if you lose your supply chain, you can't go to the police because that's an unregulated, illicit supply chain. Therefore, you have to basically employ your own muscle. And it's like a it's like a a, you know, it's like an escalating arms race. Because if you employ your muscle, your next door neighbor is going to employ their muscle and there's gonna be conflict. Yeah. So so we've got an economic argument and we've got a social justice argument in terms of the harms of, of, of the war on drugs. I mean, you know, are there any other issues in the book that you want to discuss or shall we move on to the idea of decriminalising or, or well, legalising drugs? Uh, look, I drugs? think there's,
1: <laughs> he, he, um, there's a lot of issues that he brings up. and You know, I, I think, uh, you know, the, the there's a, a message of hope in the book as well. How do well that that uh people will relapse and um and, and you know their their lives are in a mess, but they're you know, his 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 message of hope is about the connection. And yeah. um, connecting with people no matter how many times they fall over is the biggest hope. I suppose. Yeah.
0: yeah that's I, I passionately believe that and I think you would agree that really we see drug use as a chronic relapsing physical illness a disorder of the brain mm. that, that but and, and we see that social connection professional connection and engagement with services really is the foundation of recovery
1: do mm. you agree Oh, yeah yeah the longer you can hold on to somebody and form a therapeutic mm. relationship the, lo- the the better yeah. your chances of success. Yeah. And really, uh, you know, I've heard him say this, and
0: I think others have have reiterated it. The opposite of intoxication is not actually sobriety, is it? What what would you say that it is? Uh, Connection. Connection.
1: Mm.
0: And that's really a hard message to get across to some people. Mm. You know, to say to them, look, you know, what we're not actually trying to achieve sobriety in our patients. We're trying to achieve engagement and connection. Because with that engagement and with that connection comes the therapeutic window of opportunity to actually treat all of the other issues that are going on in their life, as well as potentially uh, get them off the drugs. So really getting them off the drugs is almost a secondary issue, you know, and the primary issue is actually engagement and harm reduction. Mm. That, and for me as a, as a practitioner, I passionately believe in the harm reduction model.
1: What would you say to that? Oh, yeah, Uh, harm reduction is great because you're not telling people what to do. As soon as you you start telling people what to do, as in mainly an abstinence model, you're going to come up against a brick wall. But if you can make suggestions and at the same time say, oh, I'm not saying for you to stop, but I just want you to be safe and here's a few little pointers, yeah, you're going to go a long way. And, look, there are some really good stories about harm reduction and. in the book as well uh, you know what they were doing in Vancouver and Canada uh, yeah. as well as what was happening in Spain and um, so that was
0: tell us a little bit more about that
1: um, so Vancouver's uh, Canada's an amazing um, I think it, in some ways it's it's at the forefront of the the Western world other than probably Spain but it was say ten years ago when the the, the book was written um, and it's a lot of that story of hope comes from another guy who wrote a book, um, Gabriel Mate, I think his name, or Mate
0: Gabor Mate, oh, yeah, Hungry
1: Ghost, Hungry Ghost, and he does yeah, talk yeah. a lot about um, what he's, his, what he did in um, in Vancouver, um, mm-hmm. and it was just really hanging out hanging in with people in vancouver yeah they have these hotels where people can go it's probably the the last of the the social housing and they've got mm. the medical centers there that he was in um so yeah I, it was it was a good story in some ways and even, even the colorful characters in them that you know often didn't um you know, they didn't live, but they they lived a, a fuller life with connection, I suppose.
0: So effectively what you're saying is that uh, the Iberian Peninsula, Spain and Portugal for that matter, they have decriminalised drug use. They haven't decriminalised producing drugs and selling drugs, but actually, you know, drug use. Um, and what to me the benefits are that they've basically reduced the overall crime rate associated with drug use, and they've managed to reduce the overall prevalence of drug use. And certainly in Portugal, they reduced the prevalence of drug use. What's
1: your What's your take on uh, what um, Johan Harris says in his book? So effectively, they, they switched how they spent their money on enforcement to harm minimisation and, and helping people that use. So mm. yeah, education in schools is totally... Um, yeah, you know, there's a lot more of it, and even if people, uh, you know, if they've got they've they've caught with it uh, unacceptable uh, amounts, they don't go to jail for it. They go to uh, counseling and they're, they're told uh, this is um, a safer way to use this drug, or this is the effects it can have on you, um, and, and to go away and think about it. So, it's, yeah, it is interesting because. From what I can gather, the actual drug usage hasn't actually increased. Um, it, it's pretty it much hasn't. it's pretty much stayed the same, uh, and mm. if anything, uh, people are, are a lot more aware of what it can do and ways to use without it being dangerous.
0: And I think it's really important to emphasise that they took the money from enforcement and put it into treatment. Mm. They didn't just stop enforcement and spend the money on other and you know, whatever other social projects they had, that money was transferred directly to treatment. And I think this is a really strong, powerful message. If you invest in treatment and you don't penalise or punish drug use, you can actually achieve societal benefit on a, glo- on a global societal level. Now, in the UK, I'm going to speak from the UK experience, there was a time in the United Kingdom when cannabis use was was reduced in terms of the severity of the law. So I can't remember the exact... Uh, classification, but it was declassified from a very potent drug use to a less potent drug use, and therefore had a lower criminal charge to it. And that went on for a a couple of years, right? And then, unfortunately, uh, a group of MPs decided to recriminalize it back to the previous level of punishment. And I think that the reason why it was done was because one of the MPs on this committee His nephew developed drug-induced psychosis and schizophrenia as a result of the cannabis use. And so as a result of that very sad, tragic, but very, very limited, unique experience, a decision was made that flew in the face of the scientific evidence that was also supplied to that uh, committee regarding the harms of cannabis. And so therefore, decisions were made on a political level, not on a scientific level. And I think this is the issue that we see in, in, in certainly in Australia, where the appetite for decriminalizing is, is, is very low because it's seen as a political hot potato. And the science, in terms of the harms of cannabis, at least, is overwhelming in favor. You know, it's, it's not as harmful as alcohol. Alcohol is much more harmful than cannabis on a, on a population level. And actually, from experience in other countries, we know that actually if you decriminalize uh, drugs and if you take away the money from enforcement into treatment, you actually produce better results. What 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 would you say to that, Scott?
1: Uh, yeah, I, I think um, it probably does. Um, it, it's hard to say until we actually do it, though. You know, um, <laughs> I, I, yeah. but um, yeah, if if you were to go off um, Spain and Portugal as an example, yeah, yeah it's yeah. beneficial. Yeah. It is but uh, it's interesting like you, you bring up the um, the English example the uh, the, the um, uh, he gave an example in Liverpool that um, heroin was was once prescribed um, it was and it's it wasn't you know that the United States got wind of this and basically shut it down from the United States um, yeah the, the police had written up in the local newspapers how these these clinics were beneficial. Uh, it's an Ameri- Ameri- yeah. amazing how the, the American yeah. um, fingers can just reach across oceans and shut things down. Yeah, the war on drugs is all pervasive. Yeah. 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 yeah.
0: So your last parting thought on this book, what would you say to someone who hasn't read it?
1: Um, I, I actually give it. I've, I've actually recommended it to patients and families, um, and they all the people that I have read it have found it really beneficial. It gives them a, a, a really good perspective because that stuff does influence us in Australia, even though it's it's, it's basically about America and how it's influenced the world on it. Yeah, you know, there's lots of stories in that that do influence us in Australia we do follow that to a great extent certainly the markets and the harms anyhow Mm.
0: so on that sweet note Scott thanks very much for your time we really appreciate you coming on the show and for listeners and viewers thanks for watching thanks for listening we'll see you next time